welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. This week, I'm talking with designer and author of Brand Intervention, David Breyer. David and I chat about studying under Ed Bengat and working for Herb Lubalin and the level of craft that he learned from them, how he defines brand and how he simplifies the concept of brand, helping clients take ownership of their stories and tell their stories, and more, all right after this. It's no secret that I love Jack Prince. They're a longtime sponsor of the podcast and Creative South. Plus, they do great work. Whether they're making our pop-up displays and tablecloths or printing notebooks, Jack Prince is always there when we need them. This year, they are printing new Creative South t-shirts for me and the podcast stickers. They have a coupon code on the back that gives you a great discount on all of their products, just in time for Creative South. Speaking of stickers, Jack Prince will print any kind, shape, size, or stock, including full-color stickers with full-color liner prints, for you to use as product labels, promotions, bumper stickers, hang tags, business cards, and more. Right now, you can get 500 3x3-inch die-cut stickers, starting at $149. Plus, Jack Prince is giving Creative South Podcast listeners 15% off all orders, over $25, when you use promo code SOUTH15OFF at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. If you like the Creative South podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool Creative South podcast swag. When you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else. A shout out on the podcast thanking you for your support. Creative South Podcast stickers and t-shirts. So, please help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash creative south. David, thanks for joining me this morning. My pleasure. I'm really glad to be here. So, so let's dive right in and get a little background. Where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Brooklyn at a very young age. and <laughs> As most people are. <laughs> I don't know that many people. Not the Brooklyn part, but most people are born at a young age. <laughs> okay, okay. It was the Brooklyn part I was going to actually question. But um, And then I moved to Queens. Um, and then in my mid-teens, we moved to Long Island, which kind of like was a... Whatever it was, it was very different for me growing up as a sort of native New Yorker. We would go to Greenwich Village and we would have all of that, and and so it was a very it was, it was a very different culture. It was kind of like beer and rock and roll, and I was a guy who was into I was you know painting and I was a, I was playing drums and I was into art and I was into you know just New York stuff and New York bagels and all that kind sure, of sure. You know, stuff. <laughs> So, so is, is Long Island, uh, my geography of New York city is Long Island outside the boroughs? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, okay. yeah, basically it's, it's when you go, if you're basically heading eastward mm-hmm. past Queens, then you hit mm-hmm. Long Island. And of course, and of course the, the being a teenager, then the word was, Hey, because Queens was like, was very close Rosedale sure. Queens is very close. Of course, the the thing was, hey, the girls in Rosedale Queens are really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Every teenage boy's Absolutely. Dream. It's like, that's where to go. That's where to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you said you were really into art and music and all that stuff growing up. Totally. Yeah. What was there something in particular that struck your fancy about it? Or was there a specific direction that you like to see things? Well, the thing was, was my mother was, uh, she actually was a great little, a great doodler. She never, Mm -hmm. um, followed up that in a career. She, she actually worked in the board of ed as a secretary. And, and so that wasn't something she did, uh, career wise, but she doodled. And my father actually was a cartoonist, uh, um, for, for a period of time. And so, I was exposed to that, and so I always enjoyed drawing. And then I went to—I I don't know if you're familiar—but there's the Art Students League. Do you know the Art Students League in New York? I'm vaguely familiar with it. I know that it exists. Well, the basic thing is that's where you would go, um, and it had it had the widest. It had from very young artists like myself. I mean, I think I was going there when I was 14 or what, 15, 16, mm-hmm. and you would have either life drawing or this or that and the other. And so I was doing these drawings. Um, and so I was really into really learning about art and I loved the masters. I loved Da Vinci and Michelangelo and all of these great artists. And so anyway, that was the, that was the thing that I basically had and I really loved. Um, at that time and my age and that point of culture, I was doing very, very large. I mean, I'm talking like five feet by three feet tall, large paintings of, you know, uh, any one of the Beatles or other rock stars of the time. And so I was doing my, my, my Renaissance interpretations of these great artists, (laughs) you know, I don't know. I've seen those Renaissance paintings. They're pretty small. Well, 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 yeah, some of the, well, of course, especially when you start, when you see them for, you know, decades, like being touted as the greatest masterpieces in the world. And then you go and you say, wait a second, you know, you kind of expect it to like cover a wall and it's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that's always been my most disappointing thing when I see them because you go through you know college you've got these art history classes and you learn about them in high school and stuff like that and you're like you just because you're seeing them almost project you're a lot of times it's like a slideshow and it's projected on a wall right. that's you know at least ten feet high right. and then you go see it in person and it's like oh this is barely bigger than a sheet of letter paper. We'll see. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a funny little side story is that. Um, are you, uh, I don't know your age, so I don't know if you'll know him, but do you know at least of Herb LeBallon? Yeah. All right, great. So Herb was the, was, he was literally the reason I chose design to move from being an illustrator to being a designer. And he was the only studio that I actually ever had any interest in working in. I was, had no interest in working because I, cause I freelanced and did a lot of, in my early years. I would go to work with, um, do stuff for Revlon and Estee Lauder and Jim Henson and different agencies. And I was working as a logo specialist. This was after I discovered design is like, that's what I want to do. And it was because I had seen an issue of upper and lower case, um, was sitting on a drawing board in, in one of my last semesters. Um, but what happened was, was I 
finally, I actually wanted to get an appointment. I wanted to see if maybe I could work over at Herb's. And, and I knew a few people who knew of Herb's reputation. They said, he doesn't talk much. Now, if you know Herb's, if you know Herb's work, Herb's work is like what you're describing. It's, you'd see it and it would like, it would pervade you. It would just, yeah, yeah. it was so impressive in its strength and clarity. And then when I met him, he was, he's fairly quite almost gaunt. He was older, quite a bit older. I mean, probably was, mm. probably was 30 plus years, 30, 30, 35 years of my senior at the time. Mm. And so he was fairly gaunt, maybe about five, four. So mm-hmm. this, I, this gargantuan design legend, I expected to have a more <laughs> impressive persona, like, like be my height and maybe have quite the stature and, you know, sure. and, and it was quite the contrast, quite the contrast, like what you were describing with these fine art paintings. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, but backing up a little bit. So when, when you get through high school and all that stuff, do you, do you go to college? Where, where do you, what do you start studying? <laughs> Um, yeah, I basically, I went to, I went to a community college for two years where, where okay. I was an art major. And then after that, I went to school of visual arts, but it was, okay. but it was in that last semester of community college that I was just describing. I literally mm. walked into one of my art classes and this was a very, and I remember this teacher, I don't remember his name, but he was, he was, um, a very well educated. He prided himself in enunciating terrifically and speaking very oratorically. Um, uh-huh. And I walked in before class had started. I was there a little early, and and sitting on a drawing table was this copy of Upper Lower Case. That was the literally the sure. last semester, probably just I think maybe maybe a couple months before I was graduating, where I said I made a total like that's it. <laughs> Hard left. So, so you were doing looking into illustration before that, though. Is yeah. what you would say. Yeah, yeah, because 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 that's what I was. I mean, I was I was a paint, I was painting and drawing and, and all of that, and then mm-hmm. I was refining it into illustration, and that's what I was. That's what I was doing up until that point. Gotcha. So seeing seeing that 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 in and uh, in and out. Anyways, seeing the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. in my forties, so yeah. I'm, I'm forgiven on these starting for the memory starting to go. <laughs> um, well, but seeing the magazine, upper yeah, upper and lowercase. Thank you. I don't, yeah. But um, <laughs> thank you. Well, it's, it's just, seeing it's, that it's just the beginning of the end. Just get used to it, Jason. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it, yeah. It, I, I literally yesterday was my forty third birthday. So oh, well, congratulations. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Thank Drinks you. on the house for everybody. Um, for everybody. Drinks on the house. Yeah. <laughs> um so seeing that what what was it specifically about seeing that and seeing her blue balance work in there where it's you know I don't know necessarily what piece you were looking at or or if it was, you know, his font work or if it was his branding work that was in there. But what about it flipped that switch for you? I'd never seen the craft of design so amazingly done. It was so evident that there was no detail left. Like, for example, I mean, there, there are things. 
I'll just take a little side little anecdote here. Like sure. there are things that I, I'll, I'll talk, I'll show to uh, someone will say, Hey, I'd like you to take a look at something. And I say, that's shit. And, and like, what do you mean? And I say, well, the kerning sucks. I said, right here, you, you have a, you have, you have a kerning pair. That's horrible. This particular letter pair is horrendously spaced. Like very few people know how poorly the Roman numeral one and any letter or punctuation following it is always horrendous. <laughs> they yep. don't know that. They don't pay attention to that. Or they don't pay attention to the fact that oftentimes the letter Y is terribly spaced. And they don't know. And another thing that people don't know, because I'll mention this stuff off the cuff, because I also studied with Ed Bengat in School of Visual Arts. Okay. He became a buddy. We, we became friends. I would go over his house, and we would talk about this. And, and so with Ed... Ed was Ed, Ed being a jazz drummer, I being a jazz drummer. So there's a real love there. And, you know, and like, for example, I mean, Ed taught me one thing that very few people know. Like, for example, do you know, do you know how to, do you know the principle of how you actually, actually determine and verify that the spacing of, let's say you're doing a, a headline or, or a subhead or something like that. How do you how do you actually sort of cross check it with quality check it to make sure that the spacing actually works? Do you have any any barometer at all? I mean, I know how to do it. I don't know that I can explain how to do okay. it because it's been all right, all right, twenty. It's been twenty five years. But um. so all right. So here so here's for example. Here's something that he taught me, and I mentioned this in passing to someone um, who's been in the business for many 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 years, and they're like, I've never heard that. And I, and so mm -hmm. I, so there are things that I know that just kind of get lost. For example, what you do is you actually, you actually look at, at, at three letters. Do they have the same degree of flirtation between one another? And then you look at the, look uh -huh. at the neck and then you look at the, so you look at, so if you were looking at a five letter word, you would look at one, two, three, and then you would look at two, three, four, and then you look at three, four, five. And it's, and it, you could, and once you master it, you could do it in like, an instant, but you literally space in threes. And if you, and if you do that, your overall letter spacing will be vastly improved. And so few people know just that one simple thing. You just look at the threes, you go th three and then three and then three and then three and you go, and all of a sudden it's like, Oh wow. You'll start to see these gaps that, I mean, it's just amazing what you start to see. Like oftentimes, like AYs, all capital A and capital Y tend to be crap. They tend to be mm -hmm. oftentimes the way the letters are de are designed. And sometimes alphabets are designed with real shit. Um, and shit, by the way, in this particular circumstance is a highly technical term. <laughs> that their, their, their letter space, their actual pairs, their kerning pairs are crap. They are they're not well, they're not well, uh, defined or well figured out. So things like that, that, that just a little trick like that is amazing. And for example, you never letter space script lettering, you know, stuff no. like that. Well, no, but no, I mean, you'll, you'll, you, I mean, I can guarantee you and I can walk into a bookstore. I'll find a bookstore. I'll find a book and it'll be all of a sudden you go, Oh my gosh, someone took some Spencerian script, you know, and, and it's like they letter spaced it like with like, you know, 40 point, 40 track, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will say in the digital age, the, the kerning of some scripts is necessary because you can see where, 
you know, the metric versus the optical happens. That's right. But yeah, you try to do that as little as possible. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, no, I, I'm trying to think. The the spacing by threes is sort of how I was taught it, but ours, because now that you said it, it reminds me, ours was you always start with the middle letter and you look on each side. Similar, and then you con- similar concept. Threes by that. Cool. Yeah, concept. I mean, but you always did threes. You say you was that, yeah. then you go to the next set, and then you space that, and it balances. Yeah, out. that's right. But so, but see, but, yeah. but but the thing of but the thing of, of scripts and spacing. See, I mean, I could like, like I could sit someone down and I say, why would you do that? And they may say they'll have something stupid like, oh well, you know, I liked it, or that looked nice, or it felt good, or I loved the air that it created. And I'm saying, do you understand what? what script is it's actually a font designed based on script is actually based on Mm -hmm. something that's hand drawn someone when they actually hand draw it they don't do they don't do a letter with a little a little upswing at the bottom and then lift their finger and then can and then do the next one that's not how it's done so at least pay respect to the context of that particular font if you want to letter space it pick a font but that's that would actually properly belong in that context. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not, I'm not, I'm not one for following rules. Everyone, anyone who knows me knows that I will, I'll be the first rule breaker, uh, you know, out of, out of the <laughs> gate, but sure. Respect the context of something. Sure. Know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely like, don't like, like, I mean, don't like, don't fully cook your tuna, sear it, please. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The only fully cooked tuna you should ever have comes from a can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even then it's question. <laughs> and even then it's questionable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, th- there's other reasons for that. <laughs> so, so as 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 you wrap up at the, um, at the, and move on to SVA, what do you start focusing on? Do you start focusing on a specific area of design? Because yeah. you, you mentioned you started studied under. Ed Bengat, and then you know, Ed Beng- further Ed, on, Ed, Ed Bengat, uh, yes, um, Roger Ferreter, who was another Lou Ballin. I, I basically wanted to get, see, get grab anybody who's who's connected to Lou Ballin. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to really kind of just immerse myself in those amazing skills. And so Bengat, um, we got it, we got on great. Ferreter, um, Ferreter was uh, almost a curmudgeon. He was an amazing, but mm-hmm. yet. He was an amazing collector of, he collected stuff. So his class was very different. Ed's class was very much hands-on. You, mm-hmm. He showed you, you did this, you did that. And if he didn't like what you were doing, he would literally walk over to your desk. He would crumple your paper and throw it the hell away and, and berate you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe not the best teaching method. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, but, but, but I, but I actually dug it. I mean, but he, he, he tended, I mean, he, he could, he could be, he could be a little, he could be a little extreme sometimes, but overall he was, sure. he was a very good teacher. Roger Ferreter was a great uh, curator. He collected mm. amazing things. So 90% of his class was literally, he was exposing you to the great stuff of the world. Um, okay. There was one other teacher who I will remain, I'll, I'll let that person remain nameless for now. A very, a, a super well reputed, um, legendary designer who I, after about uh, four classes, I saw that he was, I didn't like his style of teaching. I, I, he, the class of the things that he picked were, um, the whole thing would be 
you you get an assignment and it was based on one criteria and then the next week you were just to come in and it was like sort of a, a it was supposedly a class critique but bottom line is is he always ended up dominating the conversation so it wasn't really a class critique and then all so that was one problem I had that I didn't appreciate because it wasn't honest and then second sure. and then secondly um, I found that he ended up he ended up um, I found that he always ended up picking the cute girls work. I found that it was, it was very, it was really, it was not. And, and there was one girl who, unfortunately she wasn't, I mean, you know, she was, she was, she physically, she wasn't like, you know, eye candy, like what he was picking. So he, he ignored that girl's work. And I happen to notice that that girl's work, who was not the, 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 the one that um, her work was ignored. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you, so you're being a real, you're being a real asshole. Um, you're being unfair. You're being, and I, so I actually quit that person's class that I, I actually, I mean, you know, it, one had to, you know, basically see if they actually qualified to get in there, if they're, if they're work and they're this and that and the other. And I was like, sure. you know what? Eat my shorts, buddy. I'm out of here. I don't like, I don't like what you stand for. And it's bullshit. If you're going to give me smoke and mirrors, if you're amazing, you can have as much attitude as you want. But if you're, but if, but if you're going to be, li- if you're going to lie, I don't give a shit about your work. It doesn't, it doesn't cut my mustard for me. Gotcha. As, as, as you're progressing through school, do you, are, are you focusing on typography? Totally, typography? totally focusing on type, really typography, some, uh, you know, design, but my focus was really was, I wanted to learn every, because to me, the thing that was the most, um, prominent, uh, aspect of what Herb did. I mean, of course, Herb's work, he intertwined concept and design and typography brilliantly. He made them just like, yeah. a, it was a musical, it was a design symphony, but, sure. but the typography was so wow that I really wanted to get my wits and skills around that. Because again, realize at this point, there are no computers. Right. So you had to master your skill by hand. You had to use, I mean, you're, you're of an age where you'll know of, of a rapidograph. Yep. So, I, I have one. Yeah. There you go. Actually, I still have mine. Does it still work? Uh, that I don't know. I just found <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, uh, I can tell you, I know I bought this my senior year of college. Um, and I did not use this particular one that much. So I could probably just run some alcohol through it and clean it there out. There you go. And it would be fine, yeah. but um, I have not had a reason to do that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that so that's the basic thing. So you know, it was literally learning the craft. You know, I'd met with Tom Carnese. I looked at his stuff. I, I, you know, Gerard Huerta. We we'd hung out a, a few times. Daniel Palavin. And these are all these, mm-hmm. these are all the guys that they all did their work on their. You know, they all did mastered the the, the craft of of design and lettering. Tony mm-hmm. Tony Despina. Um, and so, you know, I was just really, you know, I was just really hanging out. It, it's, it's almost like it was the design equivalent of like jazz. Cause when you, if you were coming up as a jazz artist, you would like go down to the village and you'd hang out at the clubs and you'd like, you know, sure. see if you can get some, just hang out with some of the guys. Maybe you might be invited up to the stage, you know, so, I mean, there's a little bit of that sort of vibe. <laughs> uh-huh. So, so you're focusing on typography when, when, when you get out of school, what what do you end up doing? Where do you end up landing? Well, very interestingly, I, I again, like I'd mentioned, I, I didn't 
I really didn't see any design shops that or agencies that I was kind of like, oh, I want to go there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Herb was the singular inspiration. So what I started to do is I would go to the School of Visual Arts placement office and I'd look at the boards. Mm-hmm. I'd go, oh, like I'd look for freelance gigs, you know, and some would be in an agency. Some would be in a design firm. Some would be um, actual companies, you know, uh, you know, startups or whatever like that. So I, I just started to go down that road. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as you're, as you're picking things up and you're growing and, and learning stuff on the job is, does typography still hold your main interest or do you start varying your interest and in, then in looking at other things? Well, typography definitely has my interest because of the thing that I noticed is that the, the great design seem to all have be very strong typographically. So, sure. you know, so like, so Paula Cher's work really stood out at the time. Um, she, you know, especially the work that she did for the, you know, public theater, uh, classic, the stuff is just timeless. Um, the, and then, and then Fred Woodward, I have, I must have, first of all, I mean, in my office, upper and lower case, I probably have about 30 issues in in in, in a, kept out of light because they were all printed on newsprint. Oh, that was the other thing about the, about the upper lower case when you asked me about it. It was a printed on newsprint that someone put that much craft on something. It wasn't glossy paper, wasn't color. It was black and white and it was on newsprint. And it was amazing. But Fred Woodward was the art director. I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking maybe it was maybe 85 to maybe Fred started to crush it. He was, he had an amazing run at, at the, at the Rolling Stone. I did design, uh, mm-hmm. I did design a cover of Rolling Stone, uh, on, on the following the, the art director after him. But, um, but Fred's work inspired me. And again, he used, I was always, it was interesting that what I was exposed to were designers who not only utilized and, and, and really uh, accentuated the craft of great design and typography. But in addition to that, they respected the story. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't how, just how the words looked, but it's what the words meant. And so I really appreciated that context. And so I started to really appreciate the meaning of stuff. I wasn't approaching it from a cosmetic, ooh, let's make it look pretty. It's like, what does it say? Right. Sure. And so... And so that, that was the thing that I started to basically embrace. Gotcha. And, 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 you know, as you, as you move past that and you get into your time with, with Herb and all of these things, what about brand are you picking up? I start, I start, I remember there was actually a, 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 a theater. It was a smaller mime theater in the village that I took on as a client, um, in my early, in my early years. And it was, I started to look at, well, I helped them with one part of their, of their brand. And then, and then I was like, well, you need some other stuff. You know, you need more stuff to really start rounding it out. I wasn't interested. And, and, and to give this context, when I made the decision to move from being an illustrator to a designer, part of, part of that decision was this. 
I looked at, on one hand, I could be a great illustrator. It was my goal to be a great illustrator. And if I hand that off to an art director, they could do something okay with it. They could do something maybe possibly great with it, or they could do something really shitty with it. And so it was like, I was handing off one piece, right? Okay. Now then the other, then I, so then the other option, option two was if I actually take on the entirety of design and the whole message, I could, I could control the fate of all the pieces of it so that the, the full communication did what it should do in terms of design, craft, message, meaning, impact, etc. That's what, so that's why I made that change. So, um, so that was, that was, that was the, the change and the shift. But now I've forgotten your initial question because that was a little side note. What was your initial question? No, I don't remember. <laughs> it, was, it was essentially, you know, how do you start defining brand in, in that time period in your you know, parlance? Okay. So, so basically it was, it was really looking at, you know, I didn't just want to do something that might give them uh, maybe just a logo or, or or a nice business card to hand out. I was like, well, what else is needed for them to have actual impact for them to tell more of their story for them to stand apart from the crowd. Um, sure. and, and, it, and it was that that started me down the path of really starting to explore more of a better understanding of marketing and positioning and brand and all the bits and pieces. Plus, I knew in being, you know, being in New York, I, there were, I know that there were schools of design firms, some that were much more of what I would call sort of the Swiss design movement where they would have these brand manuals and such like that, that were like these clinical puritanical, um, this is what you do this is what you don't do. It, it didn't have much to do with message and impact. It had to do more with here are the rules so as to keep this as pure and pristine and, and un, uncompromised uh, in its implementation. But it was very one dimensional. It was just, okay, here's the, here's how the logo should look. Here's how the logo should look. Here's this, here's that. But it wasn't comprehensive enough in my world. And that's where I just kept on expanding and expanding to really embrace the whole concept of um, just the whole concept of branding itself. Gotcha. Now that you've been doing this for a while and and you focus on branding and, and, and helping clients with that, how do you define a brand? Well, sorry, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me add something on there just to give it a clarity. Um, Cause I think a lot of designers still, may not approach you you said something earlier a lot of designers may not approach things with thinking of how that brand's going to be used in marketing and sales and all of those things and how how you use those individual pieces in there so how how now do you define that knowing all of those parts and pieces okay cool well to answer that I'll go back probably, I don't know, maybe about, maybe about six years. No, no, about seven or eight years ago. Sure. Um, a, a few things were happening at the time 
different activities I was involved in and also design and everything that I was doing for clients because I have clients all over the U S and some, and some overseas mm-hmm. as well. And I was, I started doing a few different things. One, I don't, uh, have you, have you seen the, what is branding video by the way? Have you watched that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so that, that was crazy cause that went viral. I mean, that's got over like 372,000 views on, on, uh, YouTube and, mm-hmm. and, and, and that, that was around that time because I, I was just looking at how do I simplify this concept of branding? Cause I, cause I didn't like, I didn't like the almost smug, um, glib kind of uh, manner in which some would define what brand, what a brand was or what branding was. So out of curiosity, I went to amazon.com and I typed in branding in the little book search and I limited it to books and I pressed and at the time over 6,000 books came back on branding. I was stunned. I was like, look, I could dig it if there were 700 books on branding, maybe a thousand, but when 6,000, I'm like, you know, one thing I've learned over the years is when there's that many viewpoints and ideas, either what's being discussed is highly controversial. And I don't think his branding is controversial. No, but, and, and so the thing is, so we're talking about a tool for business and that that's, that's got, that warrants over 6,000 books. I think I did the math one time. If you read one book a day, and I think if my, if I recall correctly, it would take me like 212 years to read. If you read one book every day to, to read all those books, something like that. Sure. All right. Now it's up well, now it's well up over 8,000 books. So after that, I started to basically write my book, uh, brand invention, because I was finding, uh, after at the time doing this for close to 30 years, I was finding there were the same confusions, the same misconceptions, the same false notions that companies had clients of mine. And it did not matter whether they were global whether they were regional, whether they were local, whether they were a city, whether they were a cultural event, didn't matter. Didn't matter the longevity, whether they were a startup or they had been in business for 115 years, which is the oldest client that I'd ever had. Um, mm-hmm. Now, so with all that, I started to look at, one thing I know is when there's that many opinions and that much sort of like, well, this is what it is and 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 all these ideas and opinions that to me, there's got to be a, a missing fundamental truth that we can all agree on. And so that's when I just really took it upon myself to define what branding was. And to me, it came down to four words because this was common to everything that was done in branding. Branding is four words. The art of differentiation and that if you understood that your design would make more sense. If you understood that the words you chose as far as part of your message would make more sense. If you understood that the colors you chose would make more sense. There would be an actual rhyme and a reason why you did that. If you really understood, which I cover intensely in brand invention, the art mm-hmm. of differentiation. If you really get that to your core, your work will elevate up to a level that all of a sudden it's not just, oh, I saw this thing and it was really inspirational. I couldn't wait to use it. And oh, now, oh, I can add this to my portfolio. Wrong direction, buddy. It's uh, adding to your portfolio is not the, not the goal. It's actually adding to your client's growth and impact and meaning in the world. That's the right direction. 
and in the direction of, and the only way you can achieve that is through differentiation. Sure. So, <clears throat> excuse me, as, as when you work with clients, how do you, how do you go about finding those differentiators to help them have a singular voice? Well, I mean, the, the short answer is, is I, I rip into, I rip, I rip into their soul and I pull out the dark, seething little pieces of false ideas and concepts and meaningless dribble and rip it from its guts and throw it into the street and hopefully someone will run over it. But that's probably not the <laughs> full answer. Let me, let me give you something a little more useful. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so the first thing, the first thing that I do is I will look at my client's space meaning the category, the business that they're in. Sometimes sure, I'll where find, they are in the market, yeah. Yeah, but sometimes I'll find that they actually put themselves in a category where they are, they're actually, it's, in, it's incorrect. Sometimes that happens. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll find that, um, I'll find a number of different things, but that's the first starting point because what I want to do is I want to basically assess what I, and this is what I call, I call it the noise level. So I basically, it's like, like, for example, if I were, if I have a client coming to me and say, Hey, we have an energy bar. I know that's, that is a freaking noisy area, right? Mm -hmm. There's a gazillion uh, energy bars. If someone says, Hey, we've got bottled water. I'm going to go, okay, it's fairly competitive too. If we, if I have a, if I have a client that comes and says, we've got a, a, a new skincare line that's heavily, anything having to do with beauty, weight loss, energy, any of those things, heavily, heavily, sure. heavily competitive. Um, so so that's the first thing is I look at, well, how much noise is, is it that, and, and really look at those messages. Not, I'm not just doing a quantitative study such as, wow, it's very noisy, but it's like, okay, it's very noisy with what, with what is it noisy? What are the, what are the overriding common themes? Because the one thing that I will find one of the earliest conversations I'll have oftentimes in the first meeting, even before they've hired me, I say, so tell me, why should I care about your brand? I asked them that. I said, why should I care as a consumer mm. about your brand? And then they, the things that they rattle off, you know, they'll normally rattle off. Well, it's like, we'll just take some obvious things. So, well, we use the best ingredients. We source the best stuff. We have great personnel. We have really caring people. We have knowledgeable staff. We've been doing this for X amount of years. We're made in the USA. We're locally owned, blah, 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 all this crap. And I, and I put all of that in the category of that's crap. It's useless. Yeah, shit. everybody does that. Then what you just said is exactly right because everybody, and I say, so what I do now, but at the same time, even though you and I will look at it and say, everybody does that. I then ask them, I say, now let me ask you something with everything that you just told me. Why do I know that if I went to one of your competitors, that they would basically tell me and use the same words. And I say, and I tell them, I said, this has nothing to do with whether what you just said is true or false or embellished or factual. It doesn't have anything to do with the accuracy of it. It just has to do with what's being communicated out there. And, then, and I say, so what's the, what are the odds that they're going to tell me pretty much the same of what you're telling me? And, and that's when the light starts to go off. They're like, oh boy. All of a sudden they realize they're now taking a little bit of the, the broad macrocosm look at this stuff. Um, and now they start to go, okay. Hmm. Cause I tell them if let's say, let's say very potentially that you have the best product in the market space. Um, 
or even one of the top ones. You don't have to be the singular best. Let's say you're just one of the top three. If you're communicating with the same promises and cliches as everyone else, mm-hmm. am I, am I the, the, your potential customer going to realize how different you are by you using the same words? At which point they go, oh my God, no. So that's the starting point is to get a baseline of, hey, look, all is not well and that you need to realize if you don't take ownership of telling your story in a distinctive, unique, memorable, um, differentiating way in how you tell it, in the places you choose to tell it, in the language you use, in the manner you use, whether you're serious, whether you're solemn, whether you're conservative, whether you're rebellious, whatever your angle, um, and then and applying here's another side. So I get it when I get into the industry and I mentioned there's no computer, there's no internet, there's no social media, there's no smartphones, there's none of that. So what, what we had to do, what I had to do as a designer and an art director and a creative director, if I wanted to look at who would be the right uh, talent to complement my client's brand, I would have to look at portfolios. I would have to look at directories and all this kind of stuff. I couldn't just go online and search. So I had to actually do manual work. Well, what happened when computers came in, and I remember, I remember it pretty vividly. All of a sudden, computers came in. And do you remember Clement Mock? Very vaguely. Clement came out with, I'm trying to remember the exact, it was photo something or other, photo stock maybe. It might have been photo stock. I think he was uh-huh. the first the first royalty. Yeah, it's Clement Mock, M-O-K. He, he came out with the first online photo stock royalty free collection of work now and he and so he made he was the first one so he comes out with this and all of a sudden everyone and their mother is so so you have two things happening currently one is people who were let's say in secretarial positions all of a sudden they're now being elevated oh there's a computer oh you have typing skills you're there's a computer you are now the editor of our in-house publication or you're in charge of promo Right. Person has no experience as a writer, no experience in marketing, no experience. They don't know what the hell. All they know is they can typing equals editorial equals. <laughs> it's all the same. It's insanity. Sure, sure. So, so you have you have that thing happening when the computers are coming out and you have royalty free. So what happens is you now have a whole legion of editors, this whole new category of people who are newly appointed editors who are now going online to this new thing called the internet and they're searching and they all happen to be having no experience. They're all picking, I'm going to pick happy people. So of course you'll have the nice happy (laughs) people, you know, typing and the happy people on phones and the happy people shopping and the happy people. And so all of a sudden everything, there was a period of time, probably about six years, seven years as it was all being weeded out where everything started to look the same. All brands started to look the same. This was a big problem, Mm -hmm. but nobody really identified it. But all of a sudden it's like you can have one industry, another, and everyone's using the same smiling, happy people and the same stupid, smiling, happy family and the same stupid, (laughs) smiling, happy friends. It still happens a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it does happen a lot. But obviously if we know that branding is the art of differentiation, then that is the absolute nemesis that all of a sudden everyone's blending in. And so that's how all, that's all these various bits and pieces work. And so, you know, it really is, it really is knowing how to choose a true 
um, uh, artist and or photographer or imagery or style that aids your client's mission in truly standing out and getting a voice heard in the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, when, when you're running into that and well, let me, let me, let me ask a different question because since, since this is a podcast where designers and I'll listen to a lot of designers need help with their brand. They may have a great logo, but their brand is for crap. Um, right. How, how do you, how does, how does this book help people like me and other designers overcome that in their own work? Basically the, the first thing it's going to do is it's going to, it's going to actually take them out of their own head. Okay. Get, get over, get over, get over having drunk your own Kool-Aid. I don't, sure. I don't, I don't give a, I don't give a shit how great you are. If you don't know how to communicate that greatness in a distinctive way, and sometimes it's going to be visual, sometimes it's going to be through you know vid videos, sometimes it's going to be through a unique voice. The bottom line is, is you need to really ask yourself. I mean, you could do this. You could do the same drill right on yourself. You could say, okay, write down why, write down why um, people should choose you, and then and you know why people should choose you as their designer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then what I would say is to say, good. Now, and you, this is like, you've got to be like freaking damn honest with yourself. Now, did what I just write down is that is, are, are other designers who I will consider in my league of, of design skill and service, will they pretty much be saying the same things as what I and sure. one can get overly confident and say, no, no, no. When I'm saying it, I'm a great salesperson. I'm, I have a lot of passion. When I say it, it's different. It's like, get over it. Okay. Get over it. You're intoxicated with your own vision at that point. That's, I mean, I, sometimes you need to give yourself a good bitch slap. So you kind of come, come <laughs> to your sense, come to your, come to your senses, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like that, you know? And yeah. so, and, and that's what you need to do. Just say, like, be real. It's like, is this, is this really like what else, what else is going to be out there? Um, as far as messaging. And if it is, that's where the hard work starts. You, it's like, okay, what do I do that is actually different? How do I approach this? That's actually different. What is the, and here's, there's another angle. What is the most oozing bloody pussy pain point of my prospective clients. That's very descriptive. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go for the visual. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, but I mean, but you really want, you really, you need to really find what, what is the thing? It's like, Hey, look, are you, if your clients are losing business, okay. If your clients are, are in a highly competitive, it's like, Hey, look, are you tired of not being heard? Um, and I guess, I guess that's another point that I would say when, especially when it comes to designers and any, and, and anyone in a specialized craft, the first thing that they'll try and start to do is talk about themselves. Now I do cover this in the book. I do cover this in the book about brand intervention. But the thing I'll say is I consider talking about yourself first, um, to be like the equivalent of if you go out on a blind date, if you go out on a blind date, there's two ways that that conversation can go. The person sure. you're with 
the person you're with, if that person you're with is only talking about themselves, how quickly will you want to get out of that meal? It's mm-hmm. like check, right? Now, what yep. if the person on the other hand was interested in you? Won't that change the entire context of the meal? That you're interesting, that you are interesting, that you are, are someone that whose story I actually am interested in learning more about. Um, that's the difference. A bad brand of any sort. We'll start out just talking about us, 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 us. Um, and there's an art and, and there's an art and a science. So someone says, well, what about, blah? I mean, but look at it. Look at, listen, if you look at the, probably the two, probably the two most memorable brands, uh, br- uh, you know, in terms of branding positioning, you look at Apple's think different. That didn't say, Hey, better iOS, you know, cooler. It wasn't about that. It was like, no, think different. It tied into the values that Apple stood for. Same thing with Nike. Just do it. Nike didn't say, hey, we make better sports gear and, and footwear than the competition or buy our rubber. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, it was not about them. It was about you and your values. So I would say, look at the values of who you're communicating to. What is it? That you're, how is it you're able to bolster and fortify the values of your intended audience? And who's your audience? You know, if you have a specific audience, if you're like, hey, I really help entrepreneurs, I really help startups, I really help um, SMBs, smaller to medium businesses, um, I really help skincare companies, um, da, 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 achieve blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you might be saying I, but the thing is, is that you're now, but it's about them. Obviously, that's not a strong message. I really help blah. I mean, it's, you know, might be buried yeah. somewhere, but at least conceptually that that helps orient you. Sure. Well, you know, I, I think something you touched on was you've got a fairly strong marketing background as well. And then that's something you've learned over the years. But there's a lot of designers that that has no interest to them. And it's it's not that they're interested in the purely aesthetic portion of it. They do want to solve problems and, and and figure out how to help their clients, but they don't the the crunching the numbers to figure out you know, how to position people and, and use that information. They don't have an interest in, and I, I can understand that. I, you know, there are parts of it I think are mind numbing and and I've got a decent marketing background and I still find that difficult. How do you, how do you overcome that when, especially if you're an artist who, you know, that's not your primary love. That's not what interests you the most. Well, to, uh, this is going to be this is going to be this is going to be the, the hard, ugly truth about it. But the bottom line is, is that if you, if that's where one is stuck, um, mm-hmm. they're going to basically be they are self assigning themselves to only being a practitioner and hoping for the best. You've got to own at this point in in the world because we literally have. We, whether it's medium.com for blog posts or whether it's YouTube for videos or whether it's, you know, Instagram for stories and posts and we, we have at our disposal every potential for distributing and publishing our work to the world. We are, I'm literally, I'm literally completing a video right now that talks about that, that every brand must have a story because the one thing that's common to everything 
stuff that gets passed along has this thing that people sometimes overlook. Everything that gets passed along has a story. It's not just a name. You know, you look at Andy Warhol. It's like Andy Warhol, yeah, he had his work, but there was the story. There was the, there was the, this, the, the, the sort of almost mythological pop culture creature, you know, with his glasses and being very, being fair, very fair skinned and, and, you know, having the factor. Yeah. 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 I mean, all that, all that stuff, you know, it, it all accompanies a story. You look at anything that caught on, you know, Keith Haring, you, you know, I mean, I was around, remember, you remember Keith Haring, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was going back and forth in the subways to school because I went to high school of art and design for one year. So sure. I was, I was going in, in and out of the subways at the time when Keith, it would be before Keith was known that you have in New York city subway. It was just have, some guys drawing chalk stuff in the subway. He was, he, he had his white, he had his white chalk things and he would obviously, you know, there were, you know, you would just find a time when the, the platform was least occupied and you would do this art and, and his stuff started to become everywhere. He basically used these unused black uh, where there would where there would be ads, but these were the unused ones. So they were black, and he would then use them as a blackboard and with the white chalkboard. Well, he was so prolific and industrious. You know, I don't know. I think it was over the course of six or nine months. You practice the, the subway became his freaking gallery. How ingenious yeah. is that? Now, now he could have done all that in his own bedroom and said, you know what? I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. Won't someone discover me? I'm great. I'm great. Or he was like, you know what? I'm going to put this in the crossroads of the world so that the that tens of thousands of people that pass through these subway platforms every day see these where he becomes basically part of the landscape. Now, brilliant, amazing. But you know what? That's marketing. So you got to find your voice. You got to find your platform. You got you got to get out there. If you if you don't get out there, you will be relegated by your own by your own determination. You'll be relegated to being a practitioner, quote unquote, and that's not a place of strength. It's rare that just all the all the the sun, moon, and stars will align, but you got to own it. Own your story. Even Picasso. Every look at any great artist, any great designer. They all have their stories. Some might have a story. you know, I mean, Paula was in, in when she was coming up the ranks was very outspoken and rebellious. I was on a panel with Paula when one one conference in New York and, you know, she's outspoken, rebellious. And she could. And at the time she was kind of like a little she was definitely going head to head with one of the designers, other designers on the panel, totally challenging him. Um, you know, but that was her persona. But that was part of her story. You know, Herb's story. Herb was Herb. You know, Herb. Herb's story was told through his work, upper and lower case, the magazine we talked about, that was his platform. That was his voice. And he so directed, he was the editorial and design director. And it sure. so was a, a reflection. So that's how his story got out. Um, you know, whether you talk about, you know, you know, when you talk about any of these legendary designers, uh, you know, you look at Milton Glaser, Seymour Quast, they had pushpins, the pushpin, oh, what the hell was it? The pushpin, I have a couple of copies in my office. I forget that they had a magazine that they had put out. That was part of their story. The pushpin graphic. That's what the pushpin graphic. I'm not and familiar so that with that part. one. Oh, I mean, I, yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy, but you know, that was part of their story. Every one of these guys has their story. So what do you think is the important part of 
figuring out how to define your story. Aside from, you know, because you can find the differentiators and you can find things, but defining your voice and telling your story, what do you, what do you think are the, the most important parts of that? Well, I would, I would then, I would do a further assessment. I, what I would do is I would, I would look at this. I would say, okay, um, what's the space that I can best serve? Question number one, what's the space that I can best serve Two: who right now is, is, has, is winning in that space? Question number two, um, and then go, okay, and then write down what are, what are those people particularly known for? And one, and, and, and then additional to that is what's the quality they're known for? You know, are they known for being rebellious? Are they known for being disruptive? Are they known for being, uh, very strategic or, you know, what, what's their angle that they, that they're kind of known for and look at that and really kind of just look at that. You can keep it super simple. I mean, you could do a piece of paper. You don't have to do, I'm not, I'm not one for making maps and, and charts and all kinds of crap. I mean, let's get simple. Boom, 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 boom. Here's the five or seven people that really are, are crushing it. And here's where they are. Good. Where can I be? Where can I have a unique voice? What, how can I best be known? What's the area they're most overlooking? Because the one thing I will tell you, I've yet in any industry and I've probably done, I've done, I've done, I don't know, hundreds of industries. I've yet to find a single industry that doesn't have a lot of overlapping similar stories. So the opportunity, so the opportunity, like the common stuff that we talked about earlier, you know, the same promises, the same, this, the same, that. So I've yet to find one where, you know, it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. Which is why the Apples of the world and the Nikes of the world and, and, uh, and the other great brands and the Harley Davidsons of the world, et cetera, why those really, why their voice stands out so loudly and clearly. So I would look at where are you, what can you, if you have all of those things, what can you offer in a way that's unique, different, et cetera. I mean, here's just a crazy, stupid example. I'll give you, I mean, this is, this is just to get people to help your listeners no, like learn how to, Oh, you know, like get, you gotta get inventive. So for example, I remember years ago, actually two, two siblings. Else. One is, was, one happened to do with plumbers. I just happened to run across this article somewhere and I saw it and I thought it was brilliant. It was plumbers are, are known for two basic things. One is you'll always get a look at plumber crack when they're working in your home. Yep. And, and two is they're not on time. They're, they'll always show up a little bit late. Okay. So you get these two qualities that that industry is known for. Now that is, that's the, that's the, that's the common trait. Um, well, what they did and that's, and that's one other little secret when you're in in any industry, there's going to be common things. Like when you, like if I say lawyer, you're going to think, okay, overpriced, you know, obnoxious takes too long and overcomplicated. Right. So if you came along and said, by the way, Hey, I'm the lawyer who actually does things simply and quick, you would immediately stand apart. But going back to the going back to the plumber, the plumber. So there was this one firm that said, um, "We we are for every minute you cost, we'll be there when we say we're going to be there. For every minute that we're late, we pay you five bucks." Hmm. Immediately, they all of a sudden they're known as the on time plumber, right? Instantly, 
And another one, and another one was uh, a bank in New York. And this is going back maybe about eight years, nine years ago. And in New York, I remember, I never saw it myself, but I remember reading about it. Now, banks are known. I, lo- I love the stupidity of banks. Banks have what? They're either open, they're open at around 8.30 or 9 o'clock, and they close around 3, routinely. Right. Right. Which happens to be, which happens to be now, if they have, if they're a commercial bank and they're actually servicing businesses, why don't you actually maybe just, I don't care. How about you open up at freaking one and stay open till 10, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but no, they, they, so they, they do that. So they have to make us leave our businesses and do all this kind of stuff and go there. So what happened was there was one bank. It's, it launched this bank. And what they did is they're going to be the first 24 hour bank. And every one of their banks would have a red roof. Now, what, what, what immediately happened? What immediately happened was one, holy shit, 24 hours, any time of day or night, I can, mm-hmm. I will be there. It's not just an ATM, a live person. And two, whenever I saw the red roof, it immediately made me think the 24 hour bank. So those are, those are just a couple of examples. Now, I'm not saying that those are particularly sexy or those are this or those are that, but they're effective ways to help differentiate in, in not very sexy businesses. Those aren't sexy sure. at all, but they sure help to differentiate. So what if what if designers were known for being, let's say designers were at a point where, you know, were known for being coffee drinking, you know, tattoo laden, body pierced, uh, you know, freaks. I'm not <laughs> saying that we are, but, but let's say that's what we are. And all of a sudden you say, and you show up and you're like, you know what? You're showing up in the business side. And by the way, and your, and your audience can dig business size. You know, they're not like. You're trying to talk to bikers who are like, who the hell's the guy with the business with a tie, right? Let's right. say that you have, if you're talking to corporate America and all of a sudden you got business and you're, and you're looking badass and you're, you're just looking like just completely GQ'd to the max. Well, that would be freaking pretty awesome. So that would be mm-hmm. just, I mean, so that's, those are just a couple of simple examples. I'm not saying any of those are amazingly great. I'm just saying there's a way, there's a way to mentally get yourself grooved into how to separate yourself out. Sure. When, what do you think are, and and real quickly, what do you think are some of the the lies designers tell themselves when they're trying to find differentiators? Nobody's work is like mine. Uh, the world should discover it. The short world should discover me. A stupid, any stupid ideas of entitlement, knock it off. That's like that's a suicide mission. Just knock it off. I mean, you know, look, I, I, I trust me. I look at my work and I'm like, I, I think my work is freaking amazing. But I don't think that one, I'm the only one Two, that just because I think it's amazing that it's now going to be mentally tele, tele, telepathicized. That's a new word. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that, that all of a sudden through telepathy, all the right prospects in the world are going to realize that. Right. Um, so the idea of deserving, the idea of deserving, just knock it off, just end it now. You will, you will add years to your life and you will add a great, much greater potential for success. You have to realize that everyone hustles that the, the, the idea of like, Oh, what about the, the idea <clears throat> that any of these, that any people that you see are successful, that, that somehow they had it easy. That's bullshit. No one had it easy. Everyone's hustled right. one way or another. They, you know, some hustle better than the others. Some hustle smarter than others, but everyone hustles. It's a long standing Unless you're a Kardashian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, she hustled in a different way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, she did. 
Yes, she did. But, but the thing is, is, um, you know, it's, it's a running thing. You talk to any successful entrepreneur and the running joke is it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Sure. You know? Um, so the thing is, is hustle is part of the job. Talent alone, a lie that talent alone will get you the projects, the clients, the recognition, um, bullshit, total bullshit, Mm -hmm. utter, complete. Um, the, the notion that you should spend 90% of your time only on your craft and 10% on the publishing quote unquote, uh, function, which is basically getting your work out there, getting it known, getting heard, getting on, getting on podcasts, writing articles, doing, I mean, you can do whatever the hell you want. I don't care if you, if you're like, you know what? I really love freaking hip hop and I just want to like sing rap songs to my own stuff. That's cool. I've never heard of a freaking rap singing designer. Good. You could be the first one, you know, there's ways to go about it. You could just be just nuts. Maybe you're, maybe you're, maybe you're like a, a hairdresser who's also a designer and you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give you like design strategies while I actually like do Laura's hair over here or whatever. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of like find your unique mix, your unique voice. Um, but entitlement killer, uh, the fact that you're not going to have to hustle your ass off killer. It's it's going to just undermine you. And, and that, that your, that talent alone is going to, is going to make or make it is, um, those are three, those are cancers to anyone's success. Gotcha. As, as we're wrapping up real quick, I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, if, if you were to do things again with building your business and building the voice of branding for clients, would you, would you have gone the design route or would you have gone more of a marketing route to do that? I like, I like personally, I like the design route because I do think the design is a remarkably effective tool for, um, it's, to me, it's a much more refined tool to me, the marketing, you know, but, and it's not designed solely, but it's more design centric. The, the marketing space, I, I, I have a kind of a bit of, I, I understand and appreciate marketing from my perspective. I don't find, uh, I, I find is everything from really crappy, uh, snake oil salesman to, <laughs> yeah to, to, to schmucks, to self-appointed social media experts, quote unquote, to everything under the sun There's that, that umbrella of marketing has everything from shit to filet mignon all under the same umbrella. And I don't like that. And that's yeah. why I, I wouldn't want to put myself under that, uh, under that umbrella, the, the, the design one, you know, even though when, unfortunately, when the, when computers came into the little thing, all of a sudden you had people who call themselves web designers who at the time were nothing more than people who knew coding and they couldn't design themselves out of a freaking wet paper bag. So that, that became, (laughs) 
that became a problem for about, you know, for about, you know, 10 to 14 years. Um, where it was like, oh, or you're a designer. Oh, you mean web designer? I said, hell no. Web designers don't know shit. They're only coding jerks who don't know anything. And by the way, if anybody was listening who does code, I do respect what you do. But I'm just saying from the standpoint of someone collapsing what you do, your expertise with my expertise shouldn't be done. Just like I wouldn't expect you to appreciate if someone said, oh, you're a coder. Oh, so you're, you're, you're a graphic designer. You'd probably spit in their eyeball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So real quick, oh, hopefully, hopefully I didn't alienate anybody. Hopefully I didn't alienate anybody in the last. In the yeah. Last. There's always somebody offended by something. Oh, good. Good. As long as we got one. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the joy of uh the social media age is there's always somebody offended by something. I love that. I love that. So speaking of social media, where can people find you online? Oh my goodness gracious. Well, the, the first place that they could definitely go is rising r i s i n g risingabovethenoise.com. That you can subscribe to my newsletter there, um, and you can see there's over 200 articles, a lot with lots of visual before and examples. Um, there's probably 20 plus or 25 plus rebranding, literally showing you before and after. Um, there's that. If they really want, to, if they want to get into the passing lane, like like on the uh, on the autobahn, they should simply go to Amazon.com right now and they should buy themselves the hardcover copy of brand intervention but and by the way just as a case in point this is this is the hardcover i'm telling you to get the hardcover because i found out after the fact the the paperback i made available because though there are those who are just kind of like they want to get the information but they don't want to have the full experience so they get the paperback i found out that the paperback is actually printed on a different press than the hardcover the hardcover has the best production values and it's like you know a few bucks more big deal just get the hardcover but the thing about this book i want i'm just i'm going to take full advantage at this sure. point and so just and just quickly explain the reason that i wrote this book was because i was sick and tired of reading business books and branding books and different things that to me, they would have, um, let's say a 300 page book. I would routinely find that a 300 page book would have 10 pages of just mm -hmm. the good stuff. And then the other right. 290 was filler or fluff or extrapolation. Well, just, you know, and, and one of the places that, that happened was I watched an amazing Ted talk, one of the best Ted talks ever delivered. And I was so impressed by the Ted talk, that I went ahead and bought the book. And then when I bought the book, I found that there was nothing more in the book than what was in the Ted talk. So I was looking for more and actually I got the best of the best on the Ted talk. So I was like, you know what? That's bullshit. So I wanted to have the book and you'll know, and you'll know it from at least having started it mm -hmm. is that the book, most books are written in PowerPoint type. My, my book has no bullshit, no fluff, no fat. Zero. It is, it's the 33 points that have routinely come up over 35 years of every type of company that I've dealt with. These are the exact points that literally today, every day it makes my clients collectively, it makes them millions of dollars in sales every single day. What's in there literally is responsible for millions of dollars in revenue every day of the week. And and also, for those that are Shark Tank fans, Damon John from Shark Tank wrote the foreword. That's what I would say is like, if you want like an instant infusion, 
do yourself a favor, do your career a favor, buy the book and you will not be disappointed. And, and who knows, you know, maybe, maybe Jason and I, maybe we'll actually come with a bright idea of how to have me come to a conference <laughs> or something and actually do something. But I will, I will tell you the book does not disappoint. It's, it, there's no fluff in it. It's designed in the last 50 pages of the playbook, which actually show you. So I don't only really talk about stuff. I actually show you, um, and you'll be able to read the book in a few hours. It's a great, great, great book. And, and that's what I'll say about that. But go to risingabovethenoise.com. You can also, if you Google me, David Breyer, you'll find, you can go to my YouTube channel, subscribe to that. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, um, and Facebook. I, I, I do some, I do some stuff on not, not so much, but, but basically those, those places go there, hook up and, um, you'll have a lot of, a lot of tools coming your way. Awesome. David, thanks for uh, taking the time on a Sunday morning to uh, get up and uh, chat with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, I, I, I load it up. I load it up. I'm sitting here with, with my coffee. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just like a walk. I'm like a, I'm like a lightning in a bottle right now. I mean, that's where I'm at. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Go out and hug some necks. <laughs> You can find out more about David on Twitter at David Breyer. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with him. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Creative SO Pod. And follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creative South GA over at CreativeSouth.com. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code SOUTH15OFF at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CREATIVESOUTH. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And... Remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash creative south. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks. <laughs>